I'm just reminded I promised to take my young ward, Dick Grayson, fishing, if you'll excuse me. Clunk, soccer, kapow. It's time for another Batman Land. Batman. A weekly chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. There's a problem. Better let us handle this. Each week we're joined by a guest. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. It's Batman! We need him. No. Where we discuss the Batman episodes that aired this week on SBS Vice Land. Let's go! My name is Dan Barrett, billionaire playboy and a digital editor at SBS. This week I'm joined by my regular bird watching companion and fellow SBS editor Nick Bassine. Nick, how you doing? I've never been better. Never been better. Joining us in the Batman Land Batcave this week is news.com.au film and TV critic Gwen Lee Ma. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Uh, great. Thank you very much for coming along. I'm excited to not only have you in here to talk about Batman, but also quietly, we got you to watch Batman 1966 for the first time. I popped my cherry. Holy jack in the box. Uh, what was the experience like watching it? I did enjoy it because I think you have to take everything in the context in which they were created and you sort of have to keep in mind that it was 51 years ago that this pop culture gem was sort of birthed. But um, at the same time, I was a little surprised almost by how much of it was so familiar to me. Just the tropes, some of the lines, um, the Batman theme song, which I grew up knowing it as the Bartman theme song from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. We do have a Joker two-parter this week. Uh, these were The Joker Trumps an Ace, which aired on the 6th of April 1966, and Batman Sets the Pace on the 7th of April 1966. As per always with this, I watched the episodes, I understood what was going on while it was happening, the closing credits happened, I do not understand exactly what it was I experienced through these episodes. Nick, please do us the honours and run us through. Well, I, I also, I never understand the plot of these, of these episodes, but I am able to synopsize them nevertheless. So the Joker tries to steal some golden golf clubs from the ethnically ambiguous Maharaja of Nimpa, which I assume is made up. I didn't I didn't have time to look it up. It's definitely a real place. Okay. For sure. Good. He then uh, uses a forklift to kidnap the maharaja because the maharaja is very large in a kind of homage to what's eating Gilbert Grape. An homage 35 years early. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Batman and Robin track him down, but they get trapped in a tunnel that the Joker fills with gas. Not a very funny joke, I'd say. They um, climb out back to back. And then the Joker gets Batman to pay for the release of the Maharaja, who, in a nod to Scooby-Doo, also several years early, turns out to be the Joker in disguise the entire time. Look, I'm not a physicist, or even one who really... You're not? I'm not. It may surprise you. Uh, no physicists in the room? No, generally I find that journalists are not great with uh, science or yeah. maths. That's generally been my uh, approach to the industry. Now, I don't really understand the mechanism in place whereby Batman and Robin can shimmy up that um, great type thing, make it up to the top, and then suddenly find that Batman's able to climb out first when they were using each other's back for support to shimmy on up. Well, if they're at the top, they could just kind of jump, like push off of each other. Yeah, yeah, but they did a individually. Batman jumped up, and then Robin, a few seconds later, comes up. Were they still tied together? <laughs> That's so right, maybe they were tied kind of together. like you know, there's it's like a weird uh, adrenaline thing where you know one pushes the other a little bit and then they're tied together and he sort of hoists him up with his uh, abdomen, his magical strong abdomen. Let's go with that. That sounds that makes sense. <laughs> Holy smokestack! So I think this is the third appearance by the Joker in the Batman series, and I don't really understand who the Joker is. 
Because the first time through, he seemed like almost like an alcoholic, villainous sort of scourge where you didn't really quite understand where he was coming from or what he was really all about. But to me, that was kind of what the character was. He had the clown motif, but you didn't quite understand whether he really was trying to be a humorous sort of um, impish type creature or what the deal was. The second episode, he came back and he was definitely a lot more put together, I think, in that episode. And then this one, he's kind of like a mixture of the Riddler meets a man dressed like the Joker. Like, I don't know if this is supposed to be consistent or maybe every time we see the Joker, he takes on a different form and identity. They're, they're taking the Joker thing very literally, but the, his jokes are very much like the Riddler's riddles. Yeah, but instead of being riddles, they're kind of jokes, but not funny. Um, I think he's just a small businessman. You know, he's trying to run his shop. He's trying to make an, a living. He's a, he's a good old American small towner. Or big towner, I guess. <laughs> this is delicious. Absolutely delicious. <laughs> As with every episode, and I feel like I have to mention this every time, at the beginning, Dick just doesn't know how to do the task in front of him. Even if it takes just a jigsaw. It's just, it's just a puzzle. I mean, it's upside down so that, because supposedly that makes you extra smart, but he's, he's, a, he's a fucking dunce. I mean, it's really he's for his visual special. memory. It's terrible. But he puts it all together when he puts on the suit, thank God. Yeah, and when you notice that when they went to the shop later on, uh, Ferguson's novelties, when they went there, suddenly like Dick regress, uh, regressed back to being this simpleton again. As soon as he's out of the costume... And, like, there was a moment where he ends up saying something and Adam West slash Bruce Wayne just sort of stares at him and it's almost like he's embarrassed by That's his right. presence in front of the <laughs> foxy lady at the store. Yeah, that was very funny. Yeah. yeah, like your dumb cousin that you're not supposed to take anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Who does this remind you of? Careful, old chap. Speaking of the foxy lady in the store, yeah. is this the second speaking role for a person of color on this show? Oh, look, they're definitely in low single figures. There was a black cop in one of the first few episodes who, <laughs> a had, good cop. who had one line. In fantasy, he was Gotham's best cop. He was. He was very nice. That wouldn't be hard no, to do. These people no, these He doesn't have any competition. No, they're terrible at their oh job. Oh, my God. Yeah, because like, you know, cause I'm new to this series. I'm just watching them going, so he's stolen a golf hole and a hairpin and somehow you need a caped crusader to come in and do this. <laughs> it's not even petty theft. Well, I did wonder about that because they give Commissioner Gordon pretty much the same line now every week. Well, we may never know who he is behind that mask of his. Thank goodness he's there when a crisis befalls us. But I got wondering at that point, have the Gotham police ever tried to stop the Joker by themselves? Like, oh. It just seems like they're like, no, nope, sorry, let's wash our hands of this. Let's call in Batman. Asking too much of public servants. They should have done a clip show, of a, just a retro clip show of the cops trying to catch any number of these villains and just failing miserably because they, they were just terrible. They don't even try. Yeah, I do want to see a flashback to the origin story. I wonder if there's a super cut on YouTube. Well, there's got to be something. Now, I was thinking about the very beginning where we're at that jigsaw puzzle and the excuse to run off. And usually what happens is they'll create some sort of elaborate ruse in front of Aunt Harriet. And I'll say, you know, we've got to go because, you know, there's binoculars in at the sporting goods store. Um, this time it's given to Alfred to come up with the lie after they've left the room. But that lie itself, they went off to get binoculars for bird watching, and they were contacted by the man who runs the sporting goods store. Now, I'm not the greatest sportsman. I don't spend a lot of time down at the Amart All Sports. But do they sell binoculars at sporting goods stores? Yeah, probably. I they would have like assume a so. Fishing section, maybe that you know. You do you need use binoculars to... for fishing? 
Maybe if you want to see what that shark fin is in the distance. I mean, you use binoculars, I guess, for tennis and you've got those fancy pants with the stick. Oh, the opera ones. Yeah, the opera ones. <laughs> but beyond um, that, I don't know. I would put 20 bucks down that if I went to Rebel Sport, they will have binoculars. Yeah, although maybe it's more of a camera store kind of a thing. Or like a National Geographic. Now I don't know. Well, see, I'd go to like a Ted's camera shop rather than mm. the local sporting goods place. Uh, would you go to... Um, Cats, cats, and cats, fine refiners. Oh, look, I probably wouldn't go there, nor would I employ the services of, like, gay fellows take you to the cleaners. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Were they meant to be dry cleaners? It's Maybe. tough <laughs> to say. Hard to say it was the 60s. It could have been any number of things. Cats, cats, and more cats. I don't know how if you would name your business KKK. Look, it seems not credible. Especially when it's cats. Yeah, it's weird. Sends mixed messages at yeah. best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, speaking of that particular kind of reference, I found the fact that they were climbing out of a gas chimney. It was so jarring. I was like, this is so historically awkward. Is no one else? Yeah, from Cats, Cats, Cats. From Cats, Cats, Cats. Is no yeah. one else seeing this? What do you mean? Well, you know, just to bring it down in de- concentration camps. <laughs> oh, oh, God, Jesus. You can't float in gas. No, but you can drown in it. Joker, that's a dirty trick. Yeah. Is that the first Holocaust reference on Batman? Uh, look, I believe so. Uh, we'll have to go to our oh, scorekeeper right. on that one. Now, I must sort of say I hadn't even thought about the racial implications of Cats, 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 the KKK or the chimney. <laughs> I was too busy caught up in the fact that Cats, Cats, Cats chose not to employ the Oxford comma in their title, which always gets me personally. But I love the Oxford comma, but there are many, many people who are against it. Yeah, and I won't abide by any of that. Um, I loved how the Maharaja of Nimpa is um, referred to as Oriental royalty. Maybe the screenwriter was British. I'm pretty sure that's not the, the appropriate nomenclature. And Maharaja is a Sanskrit word. It's clearly Indian in origin. So I'm not sure how, how the Orient even enters into it. Uh, forgive me, Your Highness. And I appreciate there's a twist ending on this one, but at no point did anyone cotton on to the fact that Maharaja seems to have a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> I loved his henchmen, though, because they were straight out of uh, the bad guys out of Aladdin. Yeah. Costumes, the sword, the shape of the sword, the whole thing. There was a lot of weird ethnic uh, mixing going on with these bad guys. Now, here's the thing that happens in pretty much every second episode of Batman. There will be some sort of visiting dignitary from overseas, whether it's a member of royalty or a politician of some stature. They'll come over and they'll be embroiled somewhere within the greater scheme of the villain's plot. Why at no point at the very beginning when Commissioner Gordon and Chief Ahara have realised that there's nefarious plans afoot, that they then just sort of immediately go, oh, well, who's the local visiting dignitary and maybe start their investigation there? They don't. They learn nothing. Nobody learns anything on this show. No. They know how to pick up a phone. Yes, Commissioner. Dire news, Batman. It's the Joker again. Not everyone knows how to do that. That's true. And they know how to answer a phone. There's a really interesting scene in the second part of this where Commissioner Gordon's clearly late at night in the office. He answers the phone and talks to Batman. But did anyone think in the scene that Commissioner Gordon may have been, like, tearing one up sort of late at night? He looked like a little bit sort of sweaty and just a bit not entirely Commissioner Gordon-like. My favourite episodes are the ones where Commissioner Gordon looks like he's asleep when the bat phone rings and he has to kind of... What? What? I feel that's every episode. Yeah, yeah. Is that not how you wake up? Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) The bat phone is my alarm. (laughs) 
Who knows who's Batman? <laughs> hey, can we just do a bit of trivia? The guy who played the Maharaj uh, is this guy named Dan Seymour. Yep. Now, he was just a character actor. did a whole bunch of stuff over In great his 40s movies, a whole 40s bunch of, noir. Like Key Largo, I think. Key Largo, To Have and Have Not, classic, yeah. classic stuff. One of the films, and I didn't quite catch which film it was, but he was on one of Fritz Lang's films. Metropolis? I don't think it was Metropolis. Name because another it'd be a Fritz Lang movie. You sure it's not Metropolis? <laughs> Pretty certain. Now, Fritz Lang and him struck up a bit of a friendship because Dan Seymour was able to speak German. Oh. And I'm guessing that was in short supply around Hollywood back in the day. So as a result of that, that's who became firm friends. And Dan Seymour was the executor of Fritz Lang's estate. Really? Wow. Very good trivia. I wouldn't say it's very good trivia. It is trivia, though. It's very good trivia. I'm going to file that one away. And Fritz Lang is, um, well, everyone's talking about him because of the Blade Runner influences. Of course. For that film that came out a week and a half ago. Oh, God. People yeah. are still talking about it. Yeah. They'll definitely still talk about it. Well, actually, no, I don't know. The movie cycle's very short these days. Nick, don't let anyone cotton on to the fact we record these a few weeks in advance. <laughs> a small recording machine with a tape on it. Play it, Batman. Okay, so one of the other bits of trivia is the director of the two episodes, uh, Richard C. Zarafian. He only directed these two episodes of Batman. He was a bit of a journeyman director who directed all sorts of TV over the years. Not a lot of film work, but one of the films he did do was Vanishing Point, which is really oh, well yeah. known for, you know, the exciting car chase sequences and stuff within that. And I thought it was particularly telling in this episode, there was a bit more Batmobile than you usually see. So I don't know if he was a car guy, but there was a very definite point where, first of all, you've got like the scenes on the golf course where the Batmobile was tooling around there. The golf course, of course. That was a bit out of the ordinary. But particularly, there was a scene just after they leave Gotham Police Department headquarters, and there's these two weird insert shots, and it's just Batman and Robin running out to the Batmobile, and it seems to linger a bit of time on the Batmobile, and then it cuts to another scene with the Batmobile charging through the streets of Gotham. And both scenes didn't really need to be there. They hadn't bothered with an establishing intro to Batman and Robin uh, unwrapping that gift at the very beginning. They just kind of explained that through a bit of dialogue. Okay, so like they obviously didn't need the time there, but they inserted these car shots. So I'm guessing he's a car dude. Some of these shots inspired the French connection. Oh, <laughs> no doubt. And Fast uh, and Furious. Ronan. Yeah, like, yeah and Fast and I believe Furious. so. Of course. Yeah. I believe. Yeah, I believe five. that is the case. Italian job. I was incredibly focused on uh, all the fat shaming that was going on in this episode. Yeah, the Maharaj didn't come out of it well. No, and it was not nice. Or uh, Robin. He got fat shamed for going yeah, for a second cookie. By Aunt Harriet, who's not, she's no Tomb Raider. No. What is she talking about? Well, maybe she's trying to stop him from becoming her. Did she let, she might as well have bitten his hand as he went for that cookie. No. You know, he's felt. He's fine. He's super thin. She's obviously his guardian, and she's just trying to make sure that he's leading a prosperous life going forward. Well, considering her cluelessness at their real identities, I think we've uh, come to the genetic answer of Dick Grayson's cluelessness as well. I mean, the way she goes on about how fat the Maharaja is, it's just on and on. They're practically rolling their eyes like, give it a rest, Aunt Harriet. Yeah. Also, the Maharaja gets, the Joker as the Maharaja, gets double punched in the stomach with two fists because he's fat. That's how you <laughs> defeat a fat person. By giving them the double punch to the tummy? Well, in fairness, when he was punching him in the tummy, he knew that it was the Joker wearing several layers of stuff to uh, provide oh, the extra layer. That's smart. Was he just trying to punch out the beans? I mean, definitely. I mean, I look, I believe strongly in the power of Batman, and I just refuse to believe that Batman would, in fact, fat shame. Yeah, no, I don't think he did, actually. The fat yeah. shaming was everyone else. Yeah. What about when Batman bat stabs him in the ass? Yeah, what was he stabbing him with? Was it just a knife? It was a letter opener or something. 
for those bat letters Very there. Very strange. Well, I assume he's got like a Mary Poppins bag belt thing going on because he pulled that stethoscope out of nowhere. He pulled that shield out of nowhere. There, there's a Mary Poppins Batman crossover in the comics, isn't there, Dan? Oh, there's got to be. Yeah, if there isn't, I'm pitching I it right now. I would read that. <laughs> now, we should probably just wrap up the conversation about the episode. Did we like it? For me, what were the, some of the funniest, the funnier moments when Batman's writing out the check and they're spelling his name and he says, it's, it's one T. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> oh, well, Batman's got one T. Yeah. Who's going to spell Batman with two Ts? <laughs> well, there's the other great line when they rock up at the golf course and uh, introduced by Prescott Belmont, who's the guy running the place. What a And name. he walks up and he's like, Batman, Batman, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I lost it. Um, well, it's it's my only Batman episode so far, and I liked it. Yeah, I thought you know there was a a fresh earnestness to Adam West's Batman that obviously isn't really in uh, the other screen incarnations, but not so much of a square as someone like Superman, for example. Right. And I liked that he says trigonometry is important. I don't know if that was trigonometry, having earlier established my non-math skills. So as someone who hasn't seen the show before, were you at all impressed legitimately as a modern viewer by Adam West's performance? I was, because I thought he was quite grounded in what was very, very sort of silly milieu. Like, there was an earnestness to him, he was quite serious, but still very charming and accessible, you know, he wasn't doing the Joker thing of being manic and all over the place, even though the visuals were, especially with the Joker and all the colours and stuff. And and I thought there was a bit of class to him. Yeah. Okay. And he didn't growl, which I appreciated. So who is, when you think of Batman, who is your Batman? As a kid, it was Michael Keaton. It was Batman Returns because I think it used to be on Channel 9 or 10 or whatever, Friday nights, twice a year. And um, I think that's still the case. Still the case. Yeah, yeah no, their movie catalogue is pretty short. But I think definitively for me it's Christian Bale. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, Keaton was great, but the thing about the Keaton movies is that especially, you know, in, as a single digits child, what I remembered wasn't really Keaton. It was, it was Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. It was Danny DeVito as the Penguin. And they stick in my mind so much stronger than Keaton does, even though obviously the black turtleneck is very trendy again. So I think Keaton's great. I think Batman Returns with all of the crazy Tim Burtonness and much more than the, the 1989 Batman was, is a lot of fun. But I really like the Nolan trilogy. I like how grounded it is. Yeah, now for the regular Batman Land listeners who do play the Batman Land drinking game, uh, we did have a mention of Michael Keaton's turtleneck, so you can take a drink now. Uh, that's important. <laughs> Does that have come up a lot? It comes up quite a bit. There's an interesting thing with this show where one of the reasons we're doing this show is to try to explore what Batman means to different people and with different sort of backgrounds. And uh, everyone comes to Batman with like an entirely different viewpoint as to who he is. But the thing is that we keep on bringing in people who are aged somewhere between like the late 20s to like mid 40s. And because Batman during that time wasn't really played, like the Batman 60s Batman, wasn't played on TV during that time, everyone comes to it more or less with Michael Keaton as being their Batman. Yeah. That's yeah. And it's weird. Of all the Batman around, I mean, that Batman film is such a huge pervasive pop cultural moment that, I mean, it's a bit hard to avoid. But yeah, I mean, Michael Keaton always becomes people's Batman. Well, I, I like Michael Keaton more as a performer than Christian Bale probably overall. Mm. I've liked more of his movies. I think Christian Bale's great. 
I mean, the effects by the time they get to that uh, trilogy are much better. And it, Michael Keaton has to uh, swivel his whole body around to look to the side. That's yeah. a little bit uh, unnatural. And yeah. so those kinds of things are different. So, I mean, that's not even real special effects. That's just costuming yeah, because just they weren't able to provide a suit the, yeah. that could do that. Yeah. yeah. And I do think the Keaton movies, they gave a lot more screen time to the villains than maybe, you know, Bale got. So I feel like the focus on him was probably a little less than Nolan gave to Bale and, and to that iteration of Batman. So I don't know if that's why the villains stick out to me a lot more than Keaton actually did. Now, when the first Keaton film came out, like, there was a lot of talk about Jack Nicholson as the Joker. But, I mean, for me as a kid growing up, like, that was the Batman I sort of came to. I was very familiar with Adam West Batman when I saw Michael Keaton for the first time. But when I was watching that, like, Michael Keaton stood out. Like, he was the main deal for me as a eight, nine-year-old watching that film. But you said you came to it more through Batman Returns, where you've got the two colourful villains on each side. And I'm just wondering, since then, did you maybe latch onto the villains more with every film that you saw rather than going straight to the hero? Yeah, maybe. Well, definitely with The Dark Knight, with Heath Ledger's Joker. But I think Mm. maybe in Batman Begins, because it was so much about his origin story and about the psychology of this vigilante that I felt like the villains in that movie just didn't stand out as much. Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul and... I mean, they kind of came in right towards, well, in the second half a bit more as well. Yeah, both were non-presences, I guess. Yeah. Well, the trilogy really hammers home the themes, the hero we deserve, that kind of garbage. (laughs) Spends a lot (laughs) of time on that. All that serious, earnest, somber stuff. And that's what I think I love about the Adam West Batman. He's not only the hero that we deserve. He doesn't want to drive on the golf course because the retro burners are going to burn up uh, the lawn. It's very considerate and he apologised to the the country club (laughs) guy. Although, which was a little frustrating. I'm like, dude, urgency. Yeah. Did anybody notice that in these episodes there's a chattering teeth gag similar to uh, what Jack Nicholson pulls in, That's the, a good uh, thought. in the first yeah. movie? Oh, wow. I've been noticing a lot of these kinds of crossovers. And in the first Joker appearance, he's wearing the mask that Heath Ledger carries into the um, the bank, the opening scene of The Dark Knight. Oh, wow. Um, I saw a kind of a thing as well when they were robbing the, the fur parlor and there's that guy who stands up to him and goes, you filthy cat. And I remember thinking, God, he's not taking this guy very seriously. He's got like henchmen and stuff. And then I rewatched The Dark Knight after this and in the party scene, there's a guy who's played by Senator Patrick Leahy of all people who stands up to Heath Ledger and says, we're not afraid of you. I'm like, be afraid. Homicidal maniacs in makeup. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Now I just want to wrap up with, and it was actually a scene right from the very beginning of the episode, and they had the introductions to Gotham City and you've got all that kind of gear happening, and you're introduced to the elegant ladies with their dozing husbands as they're shopping for furs. Oh, darling, what do you think of this? If you like it, darling, it's all yours. Oh, you're a dream. And there was something about that phrasing of elegant ladies with their dozing husbands, and it made me think there's probably a very modern-day specialty video site doing that exact same thing. (laughs) Everything niche has a place on the internet. So we usually wind up Batman Land each week with the lessons we've learned from the Cape Crusader, the Bright Knight. Uh, Nick, do you want to kick us off? What did you learn this week? Well, aside from you never reach for a cookie in front of Anne Harriet. No, Dick. You'll get as fat as the Maharaja of Nimpa. Because <laughs> she'll, she'll hurt you. She'll hit you. I learned that, well, there's a shot at the end where there's a rumor that Batman is going to be running for governor. 
of California, and that is a, a shot at Ronald Reagan, yeah. who in 1966 was running for California governor. Also, like Batman, it was a celebrity-based. Yes. Yeah. So it made me feel like people just didn't take Ronald Reagan seriously at all, and he turned into this icon of American strength and everything. It was actually really interesting because Ronald Reagan had won very much on his sort of war on crime attitudes, which is very similar to Batman, who's waging his own war on crime. You're saying Ronald Reagan might be Batman. Look, I'm saying that he isn't necessarily Batman, but both imbue the same spirit of, you know, vengeance for... Old Gipper and his marbles. Or jelly beans. It was jelly beans. What did he do with his jelly beans? I think he really liked jelly beans. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves jelly beans, though. Calm your fears, Commissioner. The rumour is unfounded. As long as there's a criminal at large in Gotham City, wild horses couldn't drag me away. <laughs> um, well, I learnt this week that you should never skip leg day because you will not be able to climb out of a chimney otherwise. Yeah, very important. Mm-hmm. It'd take a lot of leg strength to get out of that yeah. chimney. Uh, incidentally, I don't mean to bring it back to the, um, the other Batman movies, but that chimney reminded me of the hole that Christian Bale has to get out of in Dark Knight yeah. Rises. See, that's what he needed. He needed Joseph Gordon-Levitt to be strapped to his back. Yeah. So I, we're never getting a Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Robin movie, are we? No, I don't think so. Let's never say never. <laughs> I was looking forward to that. I thought he'd be great. I would watch that movie in a heartbeat. Dan, what did you learn? I learned a little bit about inflatable people. Just because you have an inflatable person doesn't necessarily mean that they're the most erotically infused or inflatable person. Because the one that they had here, I think there's definitely an audience for that, but I'm not sure that it's a mainstream product. Who is the inflatable person? Uh, There was the box that was delivered to Gotham Police Department at the very beginning and Batman unwraps it and an inflatable man comes out of it. It's the ancestor to the inflatable chubby man outside of car washes and whatever. Very much so. And I've never been inspired to wash a car from that, but this guy maybe could get me over the line. And you're saying it's refreshing that it wasn't sexualized. I'm not saying it's refreshing. I'm just saying it was maybe a niche product. And I've just learned that maybe there is opportunities for everyone with their individual tastes to be able to come to inflatable people and have those needs met. Now, you you have a few of these in your home. <laughs> And you re- you've done. Is that really where we want to go, Nick? Is that really it? And you like you reenact scenes from Friends. You've said this before. Well, I bought six of them for a reason. Yeah, it's classic stuff. Mm. At least they'll float the fountain. Is that a Friends reference? From the opening credits. Oh right. <laughs> Yeesh. Um, Hasn't this one fallen apart on us? No, no. There's lots of gold in there. None of it makes any sense. Okay, let's get out of here. Okay, so this has been another Batman Land for the week. I just want to thank very much uh, Wendley Ma for coming in. Wendley, where do people find you on Twitter? I'm at Wendley Ma. Nick Bassine, you're on the Twitter still, right? You can troll me at, at Nick Bassine. And you can find me at the Dan Barrett. But more importantly, don't worry about following me on Twitter. Get onto the Twitter and have a chat about Batman Land. Use the hashtag Batman Land. How do we come up with it? Also, when you're thinking about Batman Land, maybe mosey on over to your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to Batman Land. Also, leave a review that helps people find it, particularly from platforms like, say, Apple Podcasts or, you know, Google Podcasts. Spotify. Spotify does one. Overcast. Overcast. Overcast is a good one. In fact, if you're on Overcast, star it, because then your friends in the feed will be able to see that you've enjoyed this fine product and yeah, will make right. this to it themselves. So anyway, folks, thank you very much for listening to Batman Land. My name's Dan. I've been joined by Nick and Wen Lee. We'll be back next week. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. <laughs>